0: Hello, my name is Paul Ryan and I am founder of gpconsult.co.uk. I work as both a pharmacist and as a GP and I am passionate about clinical pharmacology and therapeutics. I enjoy making international guidelines relevant to those of us in primary care. So today I'm going to discuss rate control in atrial fibrillation. I'm also going to discuss digoxin, calcium channel blockers, tiltiazem and verapamil. And then I'm going to discuss rhythm control using flecainide and amiodarone. So rate control in atrial fibrillation. The majority of patients with atrial fibrillation are offered rate control. And this is as per the NICE guidance. Rate control is more important than rhythm control in terms of outcomes. And that's the reason why. We aim to keep pulse less than 110 because if pulse is higher, we say such as 130, for a prolonged period uh, such as a few months, it can cause tachycardic cardiomyopathy. So the rate control agents we use include beta blockers, digoxin, diltiazem, or verapamil. Beta blockers we use are bisoprolol and nebivolol. Nib- the side effects of these are low mood, impotence, fatigue, and Raynaud's phenomenon next up i'm going to discuss digoxin so digoxin is a very interesting medication it enhances vagal tone to to control ventricular response so this is taken from the purple fox glove so often when i hear you know that natural drugs are better and um uh, are less uh, dangerous i often think of digoxin which is one of the most Potent medications that we use and toxic medications that we use, and this is taken from the purple foxglove, so it should always be. I always um, it just is be mindful of that. So it only the jackson only controls rate at rest, so it's useful only if uh, the patient has a sedentary lifestyle, because the sympathetic tone supervenes the vagal, supervenes the, um, uh, vagal tone on exercising. Dijoxin is useful if we don't know the injection fraction. So, we say if we don't have, if we patient can't go for echo for some reason, and the patient can tolerate a beta blocker. So, regarding, just as an aside regarding digoxin and heart failure, it is useful in two main situations. Number one, if the patient has a, who has heart failure has atrial fibrillation, because digoxin is good to control the ventricular response. Number two, If the patient is still symptomatic despite first and second line therapy, and where the main benefit here is to reduce the rate of hospitalisation. Now, just a bit of history about the Jackson. Uh, If you look at the, if you Google uh, Vincent van Gogh, the portrait portrait of Doctor Gachet in eighteen ninety, you'll see Doctor Gachet looks very sad in it, and there's a purple foxglove in front of him. So Dr Gachet treated Van Gogh's seizures with uh, and migraine with digitalis extracted from the purple foxglove plant so there's a purple foxglove plant uh, shown in the portrait and we know that high levels of digoxin can cause yellow blue vision Halos around bright objects and photopsia, which is perceived flashes of light. And if you look at uh, Vincent Van Gogh's paintings, that they these actually have the side effects of the Jackson. So I just thought it was thought that Van Gogh was actually digi- digitoxic when he was taking the when he was uh, painting these pictures. So next up, I'm going to talk about calcium channel blockers as rate control. So the, uh, the two main calcium channel blockers we talk about here are and verapamil. Now, diltizum, uh can be used in patients with asthma. We say so there may be, you know, the asthmatic patients that are susceptible to beta blockers. The issue with diltiazem is that the modified release preparations containing more than sixty milligram of diltiazem may not have the same clinical effect. So, therefore, we call this scenario they are they are brand specific. So it's like lithium, and uh, we say Cancolid versus Priodil. So we say one preparation of a sixty milligram uh, diltiazem tablet. Is it may not have the same clinical effect as another preparation. And the problem with diltiazem is that these tend to go short in Ireland on a number of occasions. So the next up is verapamil. Verapamil can cause a very potent bradycardia, to be mindful of that, and it's not to be used as beta blockers as, a risk of, as there is a risk of hypotension and asystole. Both of these agents, so both diltiazem and verapamil, are negatively inotropic, so the contraindication if ejection fraction is below 40%. Now, if monotherapy is ineffective, uh, you can try two of either a beta blocker, uh, with uh, diltiazem, or with uh, digoxin. If the patient is still in trouble, amiodarone can be used to rate and rhythm control. And if dual therapy is ineffective, they must be referred for rhythm control or ablation. These tend to be all cardiology decisions. So rhythm control. So it would be great if a nice, clean drug that kept patients in sinus rhythm was available now Unfortunately, a nice clean drug to keep patients in sinus rhythm does not exist, and not only that is that they have potentially lethal side effects so rhythm control is advised if the patient can't tolerate atrial fibrillation so um and and once the patient Goes back into sinus rhythm. rhythmics generally double the chance of patients staying in sinus rhythm. If the patient is new onset atrial fibrillation and they get to hospital within forty eight hours, well, they can be cardioverted. Um, you've got flecainide, you've got sotalol, and amiodarone are the main agents used for rhythm control. So flecainide first. Uh, this is given as a pill in the pocket, um, um, and it's given to patients if they have no structural. Uh, heart disease or ischemic heart disease it's taken for paroxysms uh, of atrial fibrillation to put to help put them back into sinus rhythm it is useful for patients who have infrequent symptomatic paroxysms uh, especially if there are known precipitants and it helps to avoid any visits now flecainide can cause a one to one conduction with atrial flutter uh, leading to 280 beats per minute so a beta blocker reduces this risk, but as both are negatively inotropic, um, it's a cardiology decision. Alternatively, beta blocker, um, obviously not sotalol, can be used first-line than amiodron if heart failure or left ventricular impairment. So amiodarone, just uh, brings me to my next point, Amiodrone is more effective than sotalol or flecainide and is useful if the patient also has comorbid heart failure coronary artery disease or valvular heart disease. Now, there are a few drugs on the market that we prescribe that can cause such a wide range of side effects. So amiodarone can um, have an adverse effect in the lungs, the thyroid, the kidney, liver, as well as the eyes. So regarding the lungs, it can lead to chronic interstitial pneumonitis. So if a patient presents with new dry cough or dyspnea and they're on amiodarone, they need an ECG and chest x-ray. Um, because of its effect on the thyroid function, um, they need patients need six monthly TFTs as well as renal and liver profiles. Regarding the TFTs, it can cause either hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism. And regarding the LFTs uh, dysfunction, it's the ALT um, that tends to be mainly affected. Now, very rarely it, it can cause optic neuropathy. So the patient needs to be assessed if they have new or worsening visual symptoms. So that brings me to the end of uh, today's podcast. I hope you found this useful and I'm looking forward to delivering my next podcast.